Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. We visit the Emerald Isle of Ireland this time, and go back to the late 1970s, when one particular horse, with a jockey of rare self-confidence and a trainer of rare genius, ran towards greatness almost without anyone noticing. There must be something about dual arc winners and jockey confidence. Just as Jacques de Jasbert never contemplated losing on Tantième in the early 1950s, so the late Lester Piggott displayed, during alleged fabulous career, all the behaviour that made him both utterly infuriating and an out-and-out genius. Still, it was just as well that alleged was the kind of horse who would do exactly what you asked him to, and would do it brilliantly. Almost by accident, he stole the limelight in the late 1970s from other pretenders to the European throne. Yet Europe was never his original target. Bred in the US as a son of Hoist the Flag, and therefore a great-grandson of Rebo, he was snapped up as a yearling in 1975 for $34,000 in the Keeneland sales. Six months later, he was sent back to the sales, where he was bought for $175,000, a rather tidy profit, by representatives of English billionaire Robert Sangster, who was keen to run him in California. Soon, though, it became clear that the horse's knees and forelegs were rather suspect, and racing in the usually firm California dirt was likely a recipe for disaster. And thus the two-year-old, now called Alleged and part-owned by Robert Floor, was sent to Ireland. There, he was trained by the indomitable Vincent O'Brien, who had already had a stream of champions come and go through his stable doors at Ballydoyle. It's fair to say that alleged start was underwhelming. One racing journalist recalled, no one took a great deal of notice of him. He was weak, backward, unfurnished, and rather plain. Further, there was an embarrassment of riches in the stable at Ballydoyle, so alleged rather drifted into the background, but the team patiently plugged away at him, finally getting him ready for his first outing right at the end of his two-year-old season, at a seven-furlong maiden at the Curragh. There was major surprise when, sporting floor silks, he hacked up by eight lengths. Yet as winter turned to spring in 1977, still he didn't thrill connections. Being seemingly slow to come to hand, he still won the Ballydoyle stakes and then the Royal Whip stakes over a mile and a half. In the latter, so low were expectations that he started at 33 to 1, yet had no trouble, with Paydar Matthews on board, in beating his stablemate and favourite, Velinsky, the chosen ride of stable jockey Lester Piggott. The latter was not amused, although with his enigmatic face, once memorably described as resembling a well-kept grave, it was always hard to tell. They now realised that Alleged had plenty of ability, but the team had instead been priming another Sangster-owned stablemate, the Minstrel, to be their poster horse for the year. And the Minstrel didn't disappoint, taking in the Epsom Derby, the Irish Derby and the King George and Queen Elizabeth stakes during the summer, won each time in close, very scrappy races. Alleged then won the Gallinule stakes, 
again showing that for a colt who was supposedly backward, he was finding it enormously easy to win Group 2 races. By late summer, there was no pretense anymore, as Alleged took in the great Voltiger stakes at York and cantered home seven lengths clear of Hot Grove, Classic Example and others, horses which the minstrel had been all out to beat in his two derbies. It was dawning on some folk that the best three-year-old running in Europe might not be the minstrel after all. O'Brien therefore planned an autumn campaign for his fast-improving colt, culminating with a tilt at the Ark in October, but starting with a St. Ledger at Doncaster. The St. Ledger proved not to be Lester Piggott's finest hour. Up against him was the Queen's filly Dunfermline, who had won the Epsom Oaks to immense national joy during the Queen's Silver Jubilee year. Further, there were two pacemakers to keep the race honest. When they very quickly tired four furlongs out, Piggott was exposed at the front, a long way from home, and effectively acted as an easy target for Willie Carson on Dunfermline. The filly took her chance and crept past Alleged for a length and a half victory. It was Alleged first, and as it transpired, only defeat. Sangster was livid, saying later, Lester was told to hold Alleged up, but he kicked on early in the home straight and acted like a pacemaker for Dunfermline. Vincent was so devastated he dropped his binoculars before the finish. Yet it was well known that Piggott gave lip service when following instructions, once stating, a good jockey doesn't need orders, and a bad jockey couldn't carry them out anyway, so it's best not to give them any. Quite the team player was Piggott. Either way, a disheartened floor sold his share back, meaning that Alleged would now run exclusively in the Sangster colours. In the build-up to the St. Ledger, Piggott had been asked if he thought he'd win, to which he nonchalantly replied, I don't know, but I'll win the Prix Lac de Triomphe. Three weeks later, and the greater prize in Paris indeed beckoned. The huge top-class field of 26 was a considerable mountain to climb for a horse that had, hitherto, by accident rather than design, not won a Group 1 but O'Brien and Sangster were clear that this time Alleged should definitely be held up to play to his strengths. Piggott, never one to be kept awake late at night weighed down by the burden of self-doubt, did what he so often did and completely ignored them. When the field re-emerged on the back straight from behind the Petit Bois, there was Piggott's instantly recognisable backside perched on Alleged right at the front of the field looking for all the world like a sitting duck. One assumes that this time O'Brien wasn't just dropping his binoculars, but throwing them against the wall. But the Longfellow knew what he was doing. Keeping out of trouble, slowing things down, dictating the pace to stop it becoming muddled, and saving his horse for a home straight sprint. And it all fell into place, with alleged crucial acceleration meaning none of the other quality horses got within two lengths of him, with Dunfermline a distant fourth. The jockey allowed himself a typically eldritch smile on returning to the enclosure. All was forgiven, and alleged top the inaugural international rankings, notably ahead of the minstrel. Unlike his stablemate, he would be kept in training. But 1978 proved to be immensely frustrating for him and his connections. It started promisingly enough, with Alleged ready to take in another royal whipstakes at the Curra in May. 
but the ground was rock solid, and although alleged one easily, he had badly jarred those suspect knees of his. Only his considerable class had seen him through. Just as he was recovering, disaster struck again, this time in the form of a virus that swept through O'Brien's yard, laying low pretty much his entire string, alleged included. The summer was a complete write-off, and alleged now face a race against time to get him ready for a second tilt at the Ark. O'Brien, the quintessential Irish horse whisperer, cannily handled his cold back to fitness as autumn approached, but knew that alleged badly needed a warm-up race. They chose the 10 furlong Prix du Prince d'Orange at Longchamp, with relatively low expectations. Alleged, as he had throughout his career, proved everyone wrong again, storming home to win in course record time, on ground that wasn't that firm. Come the second arc, O'Brien and Sangster, huge figures in global racing, and who together with Coolmore stud godfather John Magnier were known as the Brethren, realised that it was now pointless to give Lester Pickett riding instructions. True to form, and despite similar ground, field size and field quality, Pickett rode alleged entirely differently to the year before, choosing instead to hang in behind the leaders and sprint past them in the straight. Again, irritatingly, he was proved right, with alleged an easy two-length victor over Top Mare Trillion, ridden by Bill Shoemaker. Alleged season was another success, despite all that had been thrown at him. He finished the year even more highly rated in the rankings than the year before and was syndicated to stud in Kentucky for a huge $13 million. As a stallion, Alleged was indeed a success, almost always imparting considerable stamina on his progeny. Indeed, he was the grandsire of not one, but two Aintree Grand National winners. Due to certain dominant genes, almost all his offspring were bay or brown, and never chestnut. But what most people remember from his stud days was how awful an individual he became. Just like his great-grandfather Rebo, he was obnoxious in the extreme. The words his handlers most commonly used to describe him were bad-tempered, dangerous, and savage, and this from the people who liked him. He also grew to hate cold weather, but European visitors to Walmack International Stud forgave him, as they knew that winning one arc was difficult enough, but winning two meant immortality. To find out more about Alleged and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and explore the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.